Welcome back to another edition of Down to the Wire, uh, alongside of my NHL analyst, Nolan Thode. Getting right into it, uh, you know, the bottom six, I thought, and this was at kind of at the beginning of the week near January 27th, uh, you know, the bottom six scoring uh, is going well for the Canucks. Uh, that's when the Canucks played Ottawa, and I thought Tyler Mott was really noticeable during that game. Yeah, I mean, you know, it might be just because they're playing the Senators or, you know, that might have something to do with it. However, you know, we talked last week about how, you know, the big guns on Vancouver, like Pedersen, were, you know, struggling a bit. So when a team is struggling, you need their bottom six to, uh, you know, kind of show up. And Tyler Mott, or Tyler Mott you know, he, he had a decent postseason last year, sort of a couple key goals. I remember a short-handed one against St. Louis on the back of my head. But, you know, he's a guy who just, you know, works hard, knows his role, and plays it really well. And I think, you know, for the Canucks' success, they're going to need the bottom six to step up for sure. And during that game as well, just a quick summary, you know, Ottawa was really dominating that first period. 23-7 to were the shots in favor of Ottawa in the first period. But, you know, in, ho in hockey, the periods are played in three, not in one. So, uh, you know, it's just unfortunate that Ottawa can finish that. Yeah, no, for sure. You see it sometimes, you know, when your team you know, get off to the right start, or maybe the, maybe not a great start, but, you know, you really have to play a good three periods to be able to win in NHL, especially especially against a team like the Canucks, you know. They're, 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 they have some experience on that roster. They know where to beat you in those areas. And Ottawa, with a little bit of inexperience, you know, they, they need to play for all three periods to uh, be able to stay in games, and they weren't able to do that against Vancouver this week. The Canucks used a strong second period. That's where they scored three goals to really overcome, I guess you could say, some adversity that they faced. And, you know, they made some second period adjustments, I thought, to now they are defending well against Ottawa on the rush. Because I'm pretty sure Ottawa, with their being with them being a young team, they would like to use their speed off the, off the rush to generate those scoring chances. Mm -hmm. You know, we talked last week about how, you know, Vancouver, they were – they look pretty sloppy five on five against the Canadians. And I think, you know, that's something that they definitely worked on in practice, you know, tightening up that five on five game for sure. One thing that is going well for the Canucks right now is the Besser and Pedersen line. You know, I think that when you're playing a team that isn't your caliber uh, or you're, you know, that isn't up to the level, uh, you know, no disrespect to Ottawa, but they haven't won since their first game. They're on a eight game winless streak right now. Um, but sometimes as a player, you need to go up against those lower level teams, such as Ottawa. And that's how you really get your confidence back. And I think we really saw that uh, when Besser and Pedersen both uh, basically popped off in that series. Mm -hmm. No, exactly. I think the Canucks definitely needed a confidence booster. They had, you know, maybe, maybe not a tough schedule to start the season, but just things weren't going their way. They really needed the, to be able to, you know, get get their game against the uh, Senators. And they were able to do that in three straight wins. And they were all by pretty decent margins. And I should say that, you know, we do have breaking news. Uh, you know, the New Jersey Devils and the Pittsburgh Penguins game will be postponed due to the coronavirus. There are some coronavirus cases on the Devils uh, team. And uh, per Darren Drager, it seems as though this postponement will forego or will last in the potential uh, upcoming weeks. So stay tuned for that. Uh, you know, just some crazy things happening with the coronavirus and really we're seeing how it is going to be affected in the NHL.
No, yeah, three weeks into the season, you know, we've, we've already had a couple games postponed here, there. And it's frustrating as fans, but I do think it's just something we're going to have to get used to. Now, one thought that I do have is maybe DJ Smith isn't the right coach for Ottawa. You know, like I mentioned, they are on the eight-game winless streak. They haven't won since their game against Toronto, but I thought they could use DJ Smith as, you know, the rebuilding coach and then replace him when that team is playoff caliber, let alone championship caliber. Yeah, I think, you know, in terms of firing a coach, unless the team is, you know, really, really struggling, and, you know, the Senators are for, for to some extent, but... You know, they're not in a position where they need to compete. So there's no real pressure on the coach. However, I think if the continuation of, you know, these losses and these sizable losses and, you know, maybe not being as strong on the defensive end, you know, they gave up eight goals to Edmonton last night. Uh, I think DJ Smith, he's going to be on the hot seat. However, I think, you know, he, he's got a little bit of a longer leash just because that team isn't really expected to be doing anything right now. Now, one thing that did make me kind of happy is uh, I saw a report. I'm not sure who it was by, but it was someone. It was by Bruce Garriott, I'm pretty sure, who reports for the Ottawa Senators, uh, for the Ottawa Sun. And he was saying that, you know, Joey Decord was, uh, you know, that he could get a look at in the cage. And, you know, as the fellow listeners know, uh, you know I interviewed him. And uh, just uh, speaking on the quality of prospect, he had a filthy AHL season in 2019-20 before that got shut down and even before that I'm pretty sure he was still looked at as a future young prospect so you know if he does make a start all the best to him and I'm just hoping that uh, you know the Senators do find their mojo because this is such an exciting team to watch in my opinion. No yeah they definitely have some great pieces throughout like I like watching Brady Kachuk play Batherson and Norris have been fun so far and obviously the third overall pick Tim Stutzla he's looked pretty solid he scored a goal last night against my Oilers so I'm well aware of what he can bring to the table uh in terms of the goalie Joey Decord you know we want to get some podcast representation in these major leagues and it'll be great to see if he can step out on the ice for them now one thing that we should address you know it's already been addressed but you know GM Jim Rutherford has stepped down citing personal reasons that's the old Pittsburgh Penguins general manager he brought the uh, Penguins to Stanley Cups but he really screwed them over with their draft capital and really having a future without Malkin and Crosby those are just my thoughts now I want to pass it over to you and your thoughts Yeah I think Jim Rutherford um you know, he, he saw when he took over the team, uh, you know, an opportunity. It's it's not often you have players like Crosby and Malkin both on your roster. And, you know, they were signed to decent contracts. So I think his mindset was just about building a com, uh, contender each and every season and maybe sacrificing some of your future to do so. I think maybe he might have gone a little bit extreme. You can see another case, you know, the Red Wings. They made the playoffs 25 straight seasons. Amazing feat. However, now they're really feeling the uh, backlash of that because they, they aren't putting a great team on the on the ice and it's going to be a while before they're competitive again. So I think maybe once Malkin and uh, Crosby start to slow down, this is when we're going to see real problems with this Penguins team. Do you believe that Malkin, Latang, and Crosby both have a say in who the new general manager should be? I think, yeah, for sure. Uh, you know, those, those are three big parts of the leadership group in Pittsburgh. You know, they've all been there for a while. So in terms of, you know, I think Crosby, he's a smart guy. He should know that, you know, the direction of this Penguins team, you know, uh, is going to be important when, even when he's not on the team. So I think he'll have a say in uh, who, who the right guy for the job is. 
I think this job is going to be highly coveted because we have the aforementioned, you know, big three uh, in Crosby, Malkin, and Latang. And although they are aging and not getting any younger, it would be such a big accomplishment for a young general manager or just an assistant GM to take over a team that has these caliber players. Mm-hmm. And, and you look through the roster and they have some solid pieces. Uh, you know, Jake Gensel is another piece that I really like. Uh, Zucker is decent on the left side, but it's just about their prospect pool and it's not too deep. I think a new GM coming in will take in, you know, the more competitive mindset. However, I think, you know, in contrast to Jim Rutherford, they'll, they'll, they'll know what they need to do for the future. Now, if the Pens, because that East Division, I took a look at the standings yesterday, and that East Division is quite tight. There's, you know, a good race for the fourth position, in my opinion. So that's between Pittsburgh, New Jersey, uh, New York Islanders, the Rangers, and the Sabres. And I think that if the Pens are on the outside looking in, I could I could possibly think that they could trade Crosby, Malkin, and Letang just so that they could get their, you know, another Stanley Cup and, you know, not have to go through a minor rebuild to end their career. Yeah, I think, you know, for the last couple of years, we've been waiting on the downfall of this Penguins team and somehow they find a way to, you know, stay in the race, stay in the playoffs. Obviously, last year, you know, they, they were the fifth seed in the East. They lost to Montreal. But, you know, I, I think the direction of this team, they still want to be competitive. However, you know, not making the playoffs, especially in this East division, when you look at some of the other teams, you'd maybe expect the Penguins to, you know, have that fourth spot locked up. I think you can look at, you know, maybe having a like a fire sale and, you know, getting rid of these these big pieces while they still have value. One general manager that knows a lot about fire sales, like you mentioned, is Jason Botterill. And I do believe that, uh, you know, Jason Botterill, he is a candidate. And I think that uh, I believe he will get the general manager job. And I say that because he has background with the team. He was with the team back when they did go back-to-back Stanley Cups in 2016-17 and 2017-18. Uh, and he's currently in Seattle as the assistant general manager. That's my leading candidate. I'm not sure if you have one, but those are that's just who I think is going to get the job. Yeah, I mean, you know, being an Oilers fan in a Sabres household, I'm well aware of Jason Botterill and his time in Buffalo. You know, wasn't the prettiest, and he he kind of went out went out a little a little sad in Buffalo and a little unexpected as well. You know, there wasn't much success in that Buffalo team. However, I thought they were going to bring him back for this season. Uh, you know, he could definitely be a candidate, like you mentioned. He has that experience within the Pittsburgh organization. One player that's been really taking the headlines, in my opinion, is Kevin Lankinen of the Chicago Blackhawks. I think So he's ranked third on the depth chart in terms of goalie rankings, in my opinion. But currently his stats are six, six games started. He's 3-1-2 with a 197 goals against average and a 930 save percentage. I mean, those are really impressive stats six games through with a team that is without, you know, stars, essentially. They're playing – it almost seems like uh, they're not – you know, no team is playing to lose, but, uh, you know – they, it really has surprised me who this Kevin Lankinen guy is. And I'm sure he's surprised a lot of uh, fans. Yeah, no, his play has been incredible. And I think a really good thing for him is the fact that he is on that Chicago depth chart. You know, he, he doesn't have many guys, you know, to beat out Malcolm Subban and Colin Delia or the other goalies there. And, you know, they could have a great performance here or there. 
However, consistency is more so what the Blackhawks are looking for. And Lincoln, you know, it's only been six games. However, he has been very solid throughout. So seeing how he'll be able to continue this will be a storyline to go throughout the season. Now, one thing that we should mention here is that Patrick Line is available uh, Tuesday for the Columbus Blue Jackets. We are recording this on Monday. So, uh, you know, one thing that really has impressed me about these Columbus Blue Jackets without, you know, Patrick Line and or uh, Jack Roslevic is that Alex Texier, and he's really been their MVP so far. When I took down this note, I'm pretty sure uh, it was before he, you know, it was when he had six points through seven games. I'm not entirely sure what his stat line is right now, but I believe he's been the Columbus Blue Jackets MVP right now. Because really, if you take a look at their stats, you know, he's he's up there. I'm pretty sure he's either leading the team or he's top three. So that's really impressed me. Mm -hmm. Texier, uh, I'm not sure if last year was his rookie year or his sophomore season, but he looked, he looked solid in some flashes uh, last year in terms of his skill. I think he has that skill to bring to the table. However, you know, his two-way game, you know, Tortorella values a two-way game. However, you know, if his offense stays like this, it's going to be hard to, you know, put him down in the depth chart and keep him out of the lineup. So, you know, he, he's been very exciting so far. He scored that magnificent shootout goal, I can remember, uh, within the last week. He brought it to one hand and just pushed it through the goalie in the five hole. Um, and with Columbus, you know, they're losing Pierre-Luc Dubois and they're getting, you know, they're getting Roslevic, who's a center. However, you know, going from Dubois, who's, you know, pretty much a solidified number one center, uh, maybe, maybe number one, number two, uh, you're going to look for these centers on your team to step up, and Texier has done that in the absence of Dubois so far. Speaking of absences, I can kind of transition that to the absence of the core four Russians for the Capitals. And, you know, Washington has looked so good without them. And it's mind, mind, mind blows me. It's mind boggling because really, you know, I didn't think that they would perform as well, but you know, they really showed just how well they can play as a, as a team when they did come back from a three Oh deficit and beat the Isles five, three on January 28th. And it's just like, they have so much confidence without, you know, Kuznetsov and Ovechkin and Orlov and Samsonov. Ovechkin and Kuznetsov are, or Ovechkin and Orlov are back. I'm not too sure about uh, Kuznetsov and Samsonov, but, you know, it doesn't matter about Samsonov because Vitek Vanacek or Vanacek keeps playing to Samsonov's caliber. So it's almost like a good problem if you're Peter Laviolette, you know, who do you start? Do you ride the hot hand? Do you go back to Samsonov? Yeah, no, I think other than, you know, the COVID situation with the core four Russians in Washington, pretty much everything's gone right for them this season. Uh, you know, they've been getting key victories and they've been winning winning in different ways. Like you said, coming back 3 nothing from 3 nothing down against the Islanders. I think that's, that's incredible. You know, the Islanders, that's probably one of the toughest teams to do it against. If you're down three goals to the Islanders, they're going to shift to a completely different style of gameplay and just try to beat you up defensively. However, they were able to come back and, you know, they won 5-3 or 6-3 in regulation. Um, you know, this Washington team two years ago, uh, they, they were a very solid team. Uh, three years ago, they won the cup. But the last couple seasons, you know, last season, they didn't, very, they didn't look very solid. They had, you know, over the course of a regular season, they're a solid team. So they're going to have a decent record. However, they weren't the same team. However, you know, I think now with Laviolette, uh, instead of Reardon as the head coach, you know, it, it, it 
makes the players a lot more comfortable, I think. And they're playing, you know, just a very, very confident game, like you said. And and they're, they're threats to win the East Division, I believe. And just one note to add to the whole, uh, you know, New Jersey Devils coronavirus situation. Uh, you know, it was just tweeted out about 10 minutes ago. The Devils now have 10 players that have been added to the NHL's COVID protocol list. And, you know, I guess, it, you know, it is a good thing that their games are being suspended because – as we saw with the Denver Broncos and they had to play Kendall Hinton, who was, you know, he wasn't good. He, he was, he's a trash quarterback and we, you know, we don't want that situation to be repeated again, whether it's in the NFL or any of the um, four major leagues in North America. Yeah. It scares me because the devils they've played within the last 24 hours. They played the Sabres, uh, maybe not within the last 24 hours, but they played the Sabres yesterday afternoon. So you know, what does this mean? Is Buffalo going to be looked at more? Um, and like you bring up with the Kendall Hilton situation, maybe the Devils are going to have to call up David Ayers to start a couple games for them. You know, that is uh, that would be the perfect situation here in a COVID-esque season. Once again, uh, having another David Ayers appearance would definitely do me and I could use that one more time. Mm-hmm. Of course, I think, you know, everyone except Leafs fans and even some Leafs fans, you know, love that love that storyline. Speaking of the Toronto Maple Leafs, I think that Wayne Simmons has done a fantastic job on the power play. He is used as the big man in front of the net, screening the goalie. And he right now, he has three goals in three games. But, uh, you know, that's obviously when I took the note down. Uh, but, you know, he's that's besides the point because he's looking real solid on the power play. Uh, you know, on January 28th, when the Leafs played the Oilers, or, you know, during that Alberta swing for the Leafs, uh, you know, I he did a really good job setting up uh, Austin Matthews, uh, which was in, uh, you know, pair with the screening the goalie. But, you know, I thought that he's been a real nice addition to the Leafs power play because they needed that big man. Yeah, when they brought in Wayne Simmons, you know, people thought it was just, you know, another depth signing to kind of sort of fill out the roster. However, he's stepping up in ways that I think even Leafs fans are maybe a little surprised with. Uh, you know, Simmons five years ago was a solid modern day power forward in this league uh, when he played for Philadelphia. But ever since he got traded to Nashville, then he bounced around a bit. Uh, he couldn't really find his game, but now, you know, he's, he's getting these power play minutes. Uh, Sheldon Keith, the Leafs coach is, you know, confident in him. And I think, you know, his, his experience is, is very helpful to the Leafs team, especially since Joe Thornton went down and he's supposed to be out for the foreseeable future. So I think, you know, they, they still want that veteran presence in their top six. Uh, he's not playing top six, five on five, but, you know, the power play, having a good net front presence and a guy, you know, Wayne Simmons, he's not going to get pushed around in front of the net. Uh, so I think it, it adds an element to this Leafs team that they were lacking last season. I do agree with with what you just said there, because I was going to bring up that, you know, they didn't really have that size in front of the net on the power play. And, you know, we could kind of attribute that to their lackluster power play in the postseason you know they only converted 15 percent on the power play in the postseason you know when we're talking about playoffs a lot of teams rely on that special teams to get up in the scoring Mm, no exactly and I think for the Leafs uh, and Leafs Nation they have to be excited about their power play so far Um, it's either first or second you know Dallas is a little bit inflated right now because they've played less games but, you know, the Leafs, the, the talent is there. However, you know, all the working pieces need to be there. And, you know, just because they have the talent doesn't mean they're going to score every power play. But, you know, with the players they have on that roster and the way they're playing right now, it seems that 
every time you take a penalty against that Leafs team, it might be uh, automatic that they get one on the board. They are second in the league in power play percentage, 43.3. Uh, the only team above them is Washington at 44.4. Interesting. Even without Ovechkin, another feat that these uh, Capitals are doing. One amazing player that I saw on Saturday was Jacob Markstrom. He played out of his goddamn mind. I'm telling you, man. 37 save shutout on Saturday, like I mentioned, uh, against my Montreal Canadiens. And, you know, I saw Johnny Goudreau rip one uh, top cheese short side on Jake Allen on when Calgary had the power play. And, you know, I, at that moment, I knew, like, you know, Markstrom has mojo. It's going to be hard to crack one through him. And he was a brick wall during that whole uh, game. And, you know, who knows? Maybe things would have been different if Carey Price had played. But what Claude Julien said factored into their decision was that uh, to start Allen is that, you know, Allen was a bit rusty. It had been like nine days since he had last played. And, you know, they need players to be fresh as, uh, as fresh as possible uh, because this season is so short and it's such a sprint. Mm, I think with this Habs team, you know, the uh, Carey Price, you know, always being the number one starter, I think bringing in uh, Jake Allen was a huge addition for them. Having that, you know, clear backup, uh, Jake Allen, you know, he's not going to be a starter for any team. He's not going to wow you that way, but he's going to, you know, come in every third game and, you know, play very solid. Um, he, he played solid in this game. However, there's not much you can do when your team puts up zero goals. Like you said, Jacob Markstrom was just super dominant in that game, and it looked like nothing was going to go past him, even if they played another two or three periods. Now, we, once we mentioned this Calgary-Montreal game, we got to talk about the Dylan Dubé hit and just the result about that. I may be biased because I'm a Montreal Canadiens fan here, but I'm trying to take this from a realistic point of view, all right? And I've seen that hit multiple times. I've watched countless number of replays, and I just I, – I see that the – head seems to be the principal point of contact and it's and it seems to me that Dylan Dubé kind of you know jumped off his skates a bit to hit the head or to at least get you know the upper body area whereas you know Dubé didn't really need to make that play that play could have been totally unavoidable uh, you know sure the game was chippy and all but uh you know you didn't have to make that play Sure, Cock and Yummy did get absolutely clobbered, but you know, from the result of it, Cock and Yummy got cut and he was actually taken out, you know, late in the second period for concussion testing. So, uh, you know, and what really frustrates me the most is just the department player of safety has no consistency because, you know, we see hits around the league, and if you're trying to reduce head hits you know you're not going to completely get rid of it because that's hockey and I don't see any way you can get rid of it I you know I I think Dubé should have been suspended because you don't want this behavior to be repeated no I fully agree and I think you know a suspension even would have you know been been justifiable however not even a penalty uh it's a little frustrating and you know not just as a Habs fan as a fan of the league you know uh Obviously, like you said, it's going to be hard to completely remove those sorts of hits just because things are going to happen. Players on skates, it's less predictable. However, you know, when a hit like that does happen, I believe, you know, not only a penalty, but there should be at least, you know, a one-game suspension just so, so the player can sort of learn their lesson so the league can slowly diminish, you know, those kinds of hits that do happen. 
And uh, we should mention that, you know, Dylan Dubé isn't a repeat offender at all. Uh, you know, he, he's never had any history of any suspension. But to me, he, he never really seemed a, to be a dirty player or anything. I thought he was kind of like their Brendan Gallagher, I guess, in my opinion. But, you know, I guess a lot of people would say Matthew Kachuk is. So I'm not sure where Dylan Dubé would land on that scale. Yeah, I think Dylan Dubé, you know, a couple years ago in junior, maybe he didn't have that mindset, but they had him on a line with Lucic last year, so maybe a bit of that rubbed off on him. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure, uh, you know, playing with Lucic, you're going to be uh, getting gritty and tough. Mm-hmm. No, exactly. He just, Lucic brings that to the game, and uh, Lucic knows how to get away with it, but Dubé, Dubé should know, you know, moving forward, what, what he should be able to do on the ice and what he should during the late game on Saturday, that was the Jets and Canucks game, Niels Hoaglander for the Vancouver Canucks was all over the ice, which resulted in having him one goal. But I thought he played phenomenal. I really liked uh, what Niels Hoaglander has brought to this Canucks lineup. Yeah, I love when young players come in and, you know, some players come in and, you know, they're, they're already guaranteed their roster spots. They got drafted in a high position or whatnot. And Hoaglander... Not to scuff at, I believe he was a first or second, you know, in, in the top rounds. However, you see him coming into this lineup and each and every game it's, he's playing as if, you know, his, his, his status depends on it. And, you know, players like that, they're hard to come by. And just the work ethic. And like you said, he was all over the ice, just, you know, moving wherever the puck was and trying to get his stick on everything. And, you know, p- players like that, maybe not every game. However, once in a while, they're going to get rewarded for that. And he did on Saturday getting the goal. Canucks are 0 for 16 on the road for the power play. And I think that is something that we should pay attention to as the Canucks are in a Montreal uh, for this coming series uh, tonight, Monday and tomorrow night, Tuesday night uh, for later games, you know, like they are on a cold streak for their power play. So it's definitely something to pay attention to. Mm -hmm. You know, this season, you know, when there's no fans, it's hard to, you know, really, make any decisions or judgments based off of home and on the road. However, you know, when you go 0-16 on the road, it's something that your team's going to notice and you can maybe get yourself in a little bit of a funk. Uh, Montreal, like you said uh, last week, I believe, once you get a good slot shot on the Canadians on the power play, you know, you might score. So uh, I think the Canucks, this is going to be a crucial series for them. And if they can get that power play rolling on the road, then uh, their offense should be better moving forward. The Canucks are on a four-game winning streak, I should mention. So they have, they do have confidence from the Ottawa Senators series going into the next series against the Montreal Canadiens. And that can just bring a lot to the team. You know, it ups the morale. It gets people better suited for later down the stretch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, you know, winning three straight games against the Senators was huge for their confidence. Uh, but it's going to be interesting to see now that they're playing the Canadians, one of the better teams in the North Division, how their game translates. And I hope that, I know maybe for you as a Habs fan, you don't hope that they have a great game tonight, but I'm looking to see tonight for this Canucks team to, you know, step up and be the team that, you know, they were and made a somewhat of a run in the playoffs last year. Another young player that, you know, I was really looking forward to, and, you know, I had, I had fun watching him because he was in the Ontario Hockey League, but Marco Rossi is suffering from COVID-19 complications. He has been sent home to Austria and will not report to the Minnesota Wild this season. I spoke about it last week, how I was hoping, or, you know, two weeks ago, I was hoping to see Rossi and Kirill Kaprizov play together. 
unfortunately that will be on hold for the foreseeable future. Uh, you know, just, I'm hoping that he recovers and I'm hoping that, you know, I get to see him play in the NHL cause I did see him play, uh, you know, in the OHL. And I, I can say that, you know, he is a phenomenal player and I'm really excited to watch him. Yeah. I think everyone's, you know, uh, anticipating Marco Rossi and when he eventually does crack that lineup, uh, obviously in terms of everything COVID, you wish him for the best. Going back to Austria now, I'm not too sure what his plans are for his season. However, this could be a good thing. You know, if he can go into an Austrian league, he could still be playing with, you know, men and guys with a bigger physical presence. And that would give him, you know, a little bit of uh, indication of how he's going to fare in the NHL. However, you know, bouncing around on the taxi squad could be a tough thing for a rookie's confidence for sure. So hoping all for the best for Marco Rossi. Speaking on better terms, New Jersey has been playing with a lot of confidence. Unfortunately, they have 10 guys out. But despite that, uh, I think that we should look out for them. Now, obviously, uh, they're suspended through the week. Uh, but, you know, they're only one point out of that fourth spot right now. Obviously, that will change. Uh, Pittsburgh with 11 points, New Jersey with 10. But I think this is a real sleeper team that once they get back to full health, I think they could probably overtake the Penguins for that fourth position. Yeah, last year, New Jersey was, you know, they had a great offseason. They brought in P.K. Subban. You know, they still had Taylor Hall at the time, and they had the number one pick, Jack Hughes, as well as Gusev coming from the KHL. There was a lot of hype around them, and they really disappointed last year. However, you know, that they got that full season under their belt, and now, like we've mentioned before and down to the wire, they're having these young guys step up for them. Uh, New Jersey is proving, you know, night in, night out, they can stay in these games. And I think it's really a case of the 56-game schedule. Maybe over 82 games, the Devils would burn out at some point. However, you know, when they're almost one-fifth done their season, uh, you, you could see them maybe uh, keep, keep this pace on for the whole season, especially if the guys are playing the way they are. I was on my way to Cobbs when I threw on WGR 550. And for those who don't know, that's the Buffalo Sabres radio network. Uh, home of all Buffalo sports. And I was listening to post-game interviews because that was right after the Sabres and Devils game, which took place at 1 p.m. Eastern time. And uh, Ristolainen was at the podium and he said that, you know, the Sabres have all this talent, but they lacked work ethic in the loss on Sunday to the Devils. And I think that's, you know, and I was reaming out Toronto for that in the first week, you know, like, you know, sloppy play along the boards. They're not winning one-on-one -on -one puck battles. You know, they're sloppy play in the D zone, which, you know, doesn't translate well when you're trying to create offense off the rush. And if Buffalo takes Ristolainen's, uh, you know, criticism to heart, then I think they could be in the thick of things because they're only at 10 points. You no, know? they're one point out of fourth and they're two points out of third. So maybe that's another sleeper team. Like this East Division is insane and not many people are giving attention to it because we're so hyped up in the Canadian division that's maybe because we live in Canada and TSM won't give much uh, attention to the east division but I think that along with the north division the east division deserves to be up there in craziness yeah you know this east division it's it's somewhat like a modified metropolitan but the metropolitan has been you know, one of the toughest divisions in hockey. And, you know, the separation between, you know, the top teams in the division, they usually separate themselves eventually by the end of the season. And I think, you know, Washington, Boston, and maybe Philadelphia will be the top three teams in that division come the end of it. 
But from the fourth spot to even the eighth spot, if the Rangers, you know, find a way to salvage their season, uh, it, it could be a very tight race. And it's going to be interesting to see, you know, if if you're considering the Flyers, Bruins, and Capitals all locks for the playoffs, only one of those five teams will get in. So it's going to be, you know, it's going to come down to the wire, you know, no pun intended. Dallas does need to shoot the puck more, in my opinion. They are known as a defensive team, but man, oh, man. Uh, they were the average, they had 12. So I was watching their game on Sunday. It was against the Canes and they had 12 shots through two periods. I'm pretty sure. And, you know, I'm not sure if they can repeat the run that they had in the bubble and continue that strategy. If they try and make the playoffs here, because unfortunately, if you try to go down into a trap style game, when you're up one, nothing, it won't go down well, in my opinion. Yeah, you know, Dallas, uh, they're up there for power play in the league. And I think, you know, that's where they're going to need a lot of their goals to come because five on five, five on five, they're not too interesting. And, you know, Dallas has had lots of struggles. You know, they've made the playoffs the last couple seasons, maybe consistently, and they did go on that run. However, every season, you know, Dallas, uh, it's just bound to happen. They have a stretch where their offense just isn't moving. And it's because, you know, their team just doesn't shoot much. They're playing playoff hockey in the regular season. And sometimes it translates well, but sometimes it doesn't. They are last in the league in shots per game, averaging 23 and a half shots per game. And clearly, sometimes that just doesn't get it done in this in the NHL, you know. Sometimes you got to put more pucks at the net. And I'm not sure if Rick Bonus's strategy is to defend more but attack less. But I think sometimes you got to switch that up. Yeah, no, I'm a big believer in just getting pucks on net. It's, uh, you know, it's a strategy that, you know, a lot of people overlook. I think maybe if you're not getting as many quality shots, uh, then it could be an issue. But, you know, there's there's never a harm in just throwing the puck on net and anything can happen. You know, a, maybe a juicy rebound or the goalie, you know, has a poor vision on the shot and it goes in. But uh, for me as an Oilers fan, I remember two years ago when uh, McClellan and Hitchcock were the coach, you know, the Oilers I'd see at the end of the game, they'd have, you know, between 20 and 25 shots and it would just be frustrating because you know there wasn't much we could do on offense we weren't getting a lot of opportunities and then when Tippett came in we started the season out really well last year getting shots you know over 30 and it's just it's good for the team's confidence and just you know percentage wise you know odds are that your team's going to be better when you're shooting more. This makes me think that, you know, analytics have too much of an impact on a game because in my opinion if you know, if we saw that behavior from Ken Hitchcock and um, and uh, Tom McClellan, like you mentioned, for the Oilers, and we're seeing this behavior with Rick Bonus and the Stars, it seems like to me that they're prioritizing high-quality scoring chances. So they're taking data that they're getting, and they're almost overanalyzing it, right? You know what I'm saying? So I think that you know, when we're talking about analytics like this, sometimes you just got to put the puck towards the net because who knows? Who knows? It might bounce off a shin pack. It could bounce off a skate. Who, you just got to put the puck at the net. And it really does frustrate me, you know, when, you know, Montreal doesn't get enough shots. Or, you know, that's a very rare occurrence because they're second in the league in, you know, 33 shots per game. Uh, mm. But it, it just frustrates me when analytics decide to take over the game. Yeah, it's like when an NFL receiver catches the ball and they start to move backwards on their route. You know, you just want them to move forward and get as many yards as they can. You know, maybe one times at a one one out of ten times, you know, they're gonna get more room and provide themselves with a better hold than if they had to just kept moving. But you know, 
just getting the puck on net and just moving forward with your route, I think uh, is an important thing. One surprising team that, well, yeah, that surprised me is uh, the New York Rangers. I didn't expect them to have this slow start. Currently, they are two, four, and two with six points. They're at the basement of the East Division. And before the season, I'm like, okay, so they got Georgiev and Shosturkin, who have amazed last season. There's absolutely no way they're going to be in the bottom of the basement. That's between Buffalo and New Jersey to decide. But, I mean, I didn't expect this slow start to happen. Yeah, I think the Rangers, you know, last season they finished the year so hot that people sort of, you know, remember that and maybe think that that's what Rangers team we expect to see when, you know, maybe right now what we're getting is, you know, this is probably a little worse than they are used to playing. However, more of a, you know, accurate uh, depiction of what this Rangers team is. Because last season, you know, the second half of the year, as you mentioned, Shesterkin, he came in and in 14 starts, he had something like 10 wins with over like a 930 save percentage. Georgiev was also up there in save percentage. So, you know, now that they aren't really saving the puck as well as they're used to, uh, this offense and, you know, the holes on this team are really being exposed. Speaking of getting exposed, uh, the Tony D'Angelo situation is definitely something that we should talk about. It is confirmed uh, that he had a verbal confrontation with Alexander Georgiev Apparently, after Keandre, Keandre Miller scored his first goal, there are so many rumors, rumors out there, I don't know what to believe. Like, I'm very uh, confused. Uh, you know, there was a rumor that Chris Kreider, you know, was seen in a press conference hiding his knuckles because he he was punched. But, you know, that was obviously a overhyped because of the whole D'Angelo situation. But what we do know is that uh, Tony D'Angelo got placed on waivers, and, it's, and it is because of results with a teammate that is to be uh, Alex Georgiev, the goaltender. What Now, I personally believe that he doesn't belong on an NHL team. Uh, this guy, he is a proven racist. He has been suspended in the past by the OHL for uh, his misconduct and mistreatment of players. Uh, and, you know, it boggles my mind that players like Tony D'Angelo get these second, third opportunities. And players like Josh Hosang, who haven't done much in my opinion or maybe I've just missed the news on Hosang on what bad he's done but I think the only thing bad that he's done is picked 66 and like he was like it was the whole Lemieux fiasco or that could have been Michael Dalcol. I don't know but I I think that you know when you have a history of being a racist we saw that with Mitchell Miller Mitchell Miller yeah um he he got he, he got rescinded he didn't join the Coyotes they banned him uh, but yeah, those are just my thoughts on the D'Angelo situation. I will pass this over to you if you want to speak about it. If not, I understand. I, I completely agree with you in the fact that, you know, we might have seen him play his last game in the NHL. Um, if he was an incredible, maybe Norris cal caliber defenseman, then you could see maybe a team giving him another chance. However, right now, you know, he, he has so many, so many issues with his personality. Uh, he's had countless, you know, in, like, Poor, poor, you know, things that happen in the locker room with him and his, his, him and his teammates. So a real locker room cancer and his play doesn't really back that up too, too well either. You know, he, he's fantastic on offense. You know, he was really good for the Rangers power play last season. Uh, Adam Fox seems to have taken it over, um, but he's very, very poor in his own end. Um, he, he's more of a forward than a defenseman and he lacks, you know, that real sort of size to do anything 
um, on the defensive end. If he doesn't, you know, if he's not smart, he doesn't have much of a physical presence either. And I think, you know, now that Adam Fox has established himself to be that, you know, quarterback on the power play, I think the Rangers have realized that there's not much, uh, not, not much room on the roster anymore for Tony D'Angelo. And I think his days in the NHL are probably over. Well, uh, I guess, you know, 5 p.m. Eastern time is a good time to record because Darren Dreger tweeted out at 5.11. He spoke with uh, D'Angelo's agent, Pat Brisson. He says he and Rangers GM Jeff Gordon are talking with clubs with trade interest in D'Angelo. Brisson is confident they will get something done in the near future. In the meantime, D'Angelo will remain home awaiting a deal. So, uh I guess, unfortunately, he will be back in the NHL. Uh, fortunate for him, but unfortunate for anyone else. I don't know who would try and acquire him. There are, oh, see, I, I should say this, though. To his level of play, there are a lot of teams that could use him. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, uh, teams that are lacking, you know, that real offensive defenseman, maybe like a Red Wings or something, maybe they could, you know, gamble, roll the dice on him and maybe hope that, you know, he can, he can turn a new page and that he's learned his lesson. However, I think, you know, if I was an NHL GM, maybe if it was a one-time thing uh, with a player, then, you know, maybe you could have justification for giving him another chance. However, you know, this, this, his issues, you know, with his teammates aren't, aren't a thing that, that are new. They've been happening ever since he's, uh, ever since he stepped on the ice, really. Um, and he just comes from, you know, that, that sort of upbringing, uh, I, I saw an interview with his dad. I was looking on hockey Twitter last night, just trying to figure out everything I could about Tony D'Angelo. And his dad was saying, you know, admittedly that, you know, the way that they were just raised where he comes from, that they might be a little bit racist and there's nothing they really can do about it. That's just, you know, the way that they were taught. So I think, you know, especially in 2021, it's going to be hard for D'Angelo to find his way onto a roster. And a lot of people, you know, kind of use his, uh, political views. He's a Donald Trump supporter. Uh, you know, if you were following him uh, throughout last season or, you know, I guess throughout previous seasons, he's been really advocating for Trump and it's been well known he is a supporter of him. But, you know, a political views aside, it's really just a problem with his character and how he hasn't changed much since the OHL. And, you know, there are a lot of cases like this. And if we're trying to make hockey a more diverse game and trying to include more black people in it certainly having Tony D'Angelo on a team or in the game is definitely not the right way to go mm-hmm. and like you said his agent says they're exploring trades you know that could, that could just be all for show his agent saying that because his he's being optimistic about the situation but I just think any team that is willing to give him a roster spot you know it's a bad look on their organization and overall a bad look on the league if he does you know find himself playing again this season one other trade news I guess we should get into is the Victor Mete situation in Montreal. It has been announced today that Mete is having his season debut alongside of Alexander Romanov uh, on that third pairing. He is replacing Brett Kulak, who is a healthy scratch. This, you know, I'm pretty sure I read today that Mark Bergevin or Claude Julien said that this move isn't because uh, Darren Ferris put pressure on uh, you know, the Canadians to do something. It's just because, uh, you know, the team was winning. So why, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. That was kind of like the mentality of the Montreal Canadiens. Now, since they have suffered their first regulation loss, uh, you know, Mete has been slotted in because of the upcoming back-to-back games. 
Yeah, I think Mete, you know, he, he, he like D'Angelo, you know, brings a solid offensive game. You know, Mete is very skilled, and I think, you know, he, he can provide that role. However, you know, I, I'm, I'm not a Canadiens fan, so I'm not too familiar with his two-way game. However, I believe that, you know, that's where he's lacking in terms of, you know, really solidifying himself on an on a NHL defense, uh, especially this Canadiens one that is fairly deep. Um, I, they had him slated with uh, Shea Weber for a while last season, I remember, just sort of like pick up his slack. Um, and I think, you know, maybe also another reason why they're playing him is to prove that he still can bring something to an NHL roster and uh, maybe get his trade value up a little bit before shipping him off to a team that uh, could use him more than the Habs do. Speaking on suspensions, Kevin Fiala was suspended over the weekend for three games for boarding LA Kings uh, forward, Matt Roy. I, I believe he's a forward. I could be wrong there. Uh, he, I, I believe he's a defenseman. I think def- he's a defenseman. Okay, my bad. doesn't matter too much, but... Yeah, I... He was he was suspended three games for for boarding Matt Roy. Uh, he has one more game left to serve, and I thought that was a justifiable suspension for the uh, the the hit that he delivered. Uh, to give kind of like a rundown, Fiala chipped the puck into Matt Roy's corner. <clears throat> it was the left side. Fiala was coming in off the rush, and I think. You know, Matt Roy is obviously bigger than Fiala, but I think that what was going through Fiala's head was that he was trying to outmuscle Matt Roy, or he sorry, he thought that Matt Roy was going to outmuscle Fiala, but it ended up in reverse. It was actually Fiala outmuscling Matt Roy, which unfortunately led to him getting boarded and then suspended. I want to get your thoughts on the whole play. Yeah, you know, I believe three games was you know a solid suspension amount. Uh, again, the inconsistency with the Department of Player Safety, uh, you know, what, what is a suspension and what isn't. Um, the boards is such a tricky part of uh, hockey, especially in contact, uh, you know. But I do believe that, you know, every NHL player, they've been playing hockey long enough that they should know, you know, what, what, kind, of, what kind of hit they can make on the boards. You know, some hits on the boards is just like a little rub out, you know, move on and carry on. However, you know, when you're in a situation like that, I think it was unfortunate for Fiala because he was expecting Roy to, you know, fight back a little bit more. However, you know, it, it just when when a dirty play happens on the boards, it, it's very it's very clear. And you can see from the replay that Fiala immediately was worried about the hit. He honestly felt really bad, and that's what I like about hockey in a way is that you know we see the dirty hits and we see like you know the the, the enforcers in the past like Zach Ronaldo delivering or you know um when oh I, I I'm forgetting the Matt Cook that's the name we see those guys deliver dirty hits and they don't really apologize or you show any emotion afterwards but once Fiala delivered the hit we could see you know visu- visually he was you know kind of distressed and like you know like oh no I didn't mean to do it that that way I didn't mean for this to be the outcome yeah you know the instant regret look on his face like you mentioned uh you can tell that he just he really really didn't mean to or didn't to, didn't mean to do it as much as he did uh, or, you know, just right away as it happened, you know, he realized that probably wasn't a good thing. Everything went through his head. Is this guy okay? And he probably thought he was getting suspended at the moment as well. And I think that, you know, even though that he showed that, you know, empathy for Roy when he went down on the ice, you know, giving him the three games is still fair. 
Speaking on the West Division is where the Minnesota Wild play. I think that, uh, you know, the division is perfectly where I thought it would be. There's nothing really too surprising there. You know, St. Louis is at the top, Colorado second, Minnesota third, and Vegas is fourth. Uh, You know, obviously that game has had some, or that game, that division has had some postponements due to the coronavirus. Uh, But, you know, nothing really too surprising there, in my opinion. Yeah, I think nothing surprising about it. However, it's going to be interesting to see what the Avalanche do. Uh, I believe McKinnon left the game last night. He didn't return. I'm not too sure what his status is, but, you know, that'd be a big blow to the Avalanche if they were to lose their uh, number one center. Now, for moving on to the, the Central Division, I think that, you know, it's pretty close there. You know, the top two teams are tied with 11 points. Uh, you know, Carolina's third. So we got Florida at first, Columbus second, Carolina's third at 10 points. Dallas, Tampa Bay, and Chicago are tied for fourth with nine points. Nashville is seventh with eight, and uh, Detroit is eighth with six points. That division's really close. And the only reason why it is so close is because of the postponements they've had. Currently, the Blackhawks, Predators, Hurricanes, Stars, and Panthers all have had their games either rescheduled and postponed or, you know, and, you know, canceled. Yeah, you know, early season, the standings can be super raw and not so much what you're used to seeing and what they are at the end of the season. And I think, you know, we'll get a better idea as the season goes along. But, you know, like you mentioned, it is a little bit of a close race up at the top. You know, obviously, I think Tampa Tampa will finish top four 100%. Uh, Carolina solid as well. But, you know, Florida, can can they keep keep up the play that they've had so far? They've had a really hot start, uh, but whether or not they keep it. Um, and Dallas, like you said, if they're going to be not shooting as much and playing in these boring games, if they're losing them, then they can lose that playoff spot. Uh, they, can, they can lose the playoff spot that they had last season. Moving on to the North Division, our favorite division here in Canada, because <clears throat> it is our only one. Uh, <laughs> you know, Connor McDavid is such a treat to watch. You as an Oilers fan love uh, love him, uh, of course, and get to see him play as often as possible. And, you know, we all saw his fantastic goal as he literally went through the whole Maple Leafs team on the power play there. Um, yeah, he was just so phenomenal and I'm so happy he got drafted to a Canadian team yeah you know McDavid is is like you said a treat to watch and as an Oilers fan you know it it pains me because he's so entertaining however you know this team around him it's it's frustrating at times when you know when we have a player like McDavid we should be having no problem winning games um defensively you know he's always been known to be a little lazier he stepped it up this season uh, so he's adding another element to his game and, you know, just these highlight real goals, uh, you know, we're just sort of used to seeing them at this point, but each and every one still leaves your draw on the floor. Now, were you nervous uh, during that game last night? Because, you know, the Oilers had a 5-1 lead and, you know, just the score ending in 8-5, it probably shouldn't have gone that way. I think when it was 5-1 and they crept it to 5-3, I wasn't so nervous because, you know, Stuart Skinner, who was making his first start, you know, you expected him to, you know, be a little shaky, uh, you know, having not faced NHL, you know, caliber play before. Um, and then it went to 8-3, and I thought the game was wrapped up. And then two quick goals by Ottawa when it was 8-5, uh, I, I started to panic a little bit. Um, but but I, 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 I talked myself through it. 
I, I made sure, you know, I thought no way Ottawa's going to score nine goals, really. Um, and then uh, this, the Oilers kind of, you know, uh, tighten things up to finish that game and get Stuart Skinner his first first career win. McDavid and Drysdale combined for eleven points. Was it uh, last night? Eleven, yeah. Yeah, dude, that is insane. Because uh, the the record for most points in one game in NHL history is ten points, set by Daryl Settler. Uh, and McDavid, or not McDavid, but Dreisaitl was four points off. And, you know, that's crazy to me because he was one point off tying the Oilers record. The Oilers record is seven points by Wayne Gretzky, which he accomplished that multiple times. Um, but yeah, like that was such a, that was such a historic performance by uh, that Edmonton duo. Yeah, no, I mean... Every, every once in a while, they'll have a game like that where, you know, you look at the stat sheet and it's crazy. They're doing work, you know, that a regular player would accomplish in five games in just one. I remember a crazy stat I saw this morning that McDavid and Drysettle combined have more points than the entire Anaheim Ducks roster this season. Um, and that, that's just crazy that two players are doing that. Um, a lot of people point it towards, you know, that's all that the Oilers offense is. Um, and sure, they're getting the bulk of the scoring. However, I think people are underrating, you know, what other pieces are contributing to McDavid and Dreisaitl being able to get all these points. I think Dominic Cahoon also had a really good game last night as well against the Senators. And he's an underrated player as well as Kaylor Yamamoto. You know, like obviously the Oilers, you know, the bulk of the talk is going to be about McDavid and Dreisaitl. But I think, you know, some of it should go to their uh, line mates such as Cahoon and Yamamoto. Yeah, you know, the Oilers made the playoffs in 2017 based off of, you know, the fact that McDavid had a 100-point season and Talbot was, you know, a borderline Vesna candidate. So everything went well. And then for two years, we kind of struggled. And playing McDavid and Dreisaitl on the same line, it proved to not be as effective. However, now adding an element to our team, having them on two different lines, five on five, and having Dreisaitl play with Cahoon and Yamamoto on his wings, those are two guys that just, you know, get to the net hard and they have some speed. So I think, uh, you know, credit to uh, Holland. He's, he's surrounded his star players with players that complement them well. Now, one last note before we get to the predictions is, you know, um, that Quinn Hughes and Kale McCarr are, you know, leading the league. Speaking of stats, you know, they're leading the league in points with 11 points through, you know, 11, 10 games for the respective clubs. I, you know, I think that, both defensemen, uh, and that's just for defensemen, uh, you know, they're both great. And, you know, they could be up for a Norris trophy this season. And it's crazy that, you know, this, you know, rush of young players could challenge the veterans for the Norris. Yeah, you know, when we were both really early in our NHL fandoms, we saw Lidstrom and Chara and Duncan Keith won it, you know, taking home these Norris, these strong, you know, steady two-way guys who, you know, had played in the league for a while. However, you know, the fact that realistically, either of these second year defensemen could, you know, push for a Norris is crazy. And, you know, I think it's just the evolution of the game. I think, you know, their speed and, you know, their hockey IQ is just, you know, what is allowing them to, you know, make an impact this young in their career when defensemen usually take a little bit longer to, you know, mature into the NHL game. It's time for uh, us to debate Mr. Hogan's or Zach Hogan's, uh, you know, weekly North Division power rankings. Uh, he tagged me in a tweet about two hours ago, so might as well go over it. 
he at first he loves the Montreal Canadiens. I he's actually a Leafs fan, but two weeks in a row, Montreal Canadiens have taken the first spot. Leafs at second, Flames third, the Jets are fourth, the Canucks are fifth, the Oilers are sixth, and the Senators are seventh. I think that's really a perfect uh, description. Uh, it sucks about your Oilers because uh, they are outside the bubble there of the top four teams making the playoffs. But, you know, who knows, week by week. Yeah, I guess week by week things will change. And I think, you know, maybe the fact that Hogan's team, you know, took a loss to the Oilers on Saturday night maybe has a factor in them being the sixth rank in that. However, you know, like I said last week, this North Division is just so tight. And, you know, week to week, you know, similar spots, you know, Leafs and Habs at the top. Senators at the bottom, but you know, week to week, anything can shift. Um, so not, not too many things to disagree with, although I would like to see, you know, a little bit more from my Oilers in the power rankings. I think that with the North division, the really the only three spots that are a lock right now are the Canadians and Leafs finishing one and two and the Senators finishing seventh. So that means the spots between three through six are so undetermined and random. No, I, I completely agree. I think those are the locks. Um, and I think, you know, between Calgary, Vancouver, Winnipeg, and Edmonton, it's going to be very exciting and down to the wire um, how these teams finish. Uh, you know, Edmonton, you know, they're five and six now. However, uh, I believe three of their next four games are against the Senators. And the other one of that is the Battle of Alberta. And, you know, being an Oilers fan, I know that my team will show up in the Battle of Alberta. So hopefully the Oilers can turn a new page and, you know, maybe they can be a lock for the three seed. Time for Tuesday's picks. We have 10 games on tap for tomorrow. Uh, the first one, or, you know, I just went down on NHL.com, but I have the Sabres over the Islanders, the Penguins over the Devils, which got postponed, unfortunately. Uh, the Blue Jackets over the Stars, the Canadians over the Canucks, the Hurricanes over the Blackhawks, the Coyotes over the Blues, the Flames over the Jets, the Avalanche over the Wild, Ducks over the Kings, and Oilers over the Senators. Yeah, I think it's a decent slate of games. Um, I'll agree with you with the Sabres over the Islanders. I think the Islanders, um, you know, they're a solid defensive team. However, it's going to take a little bit longer for them to get into that, you know, peak shape that they are used to playing in. Um, I'll take the Canadians as well. I think, you know, the Canucks and Canadians will play tonight. So maybe that opinion will change depending on how that game goes. But I'll just put my money on the Canadians as of now. Um, I'll go with the Stars over the Blue Jackets. Even though it's Line A's debut, I think it might get soured a bit by the Stars. I'll go with the Blues over the Coyotes. Um, I'll take the Hurricanes as well. I'll take the Flames. Um, I, I think the Kings are playing solid. I'll take them to beat the Ducks. You know, Ducks don't have a lot going on offense. You know, Gibson's been having to either play insane or that they can't win. Um, I'll take the Avalanche over the Wild, and I will gladly take the Oilers over the Senators. And I know for me, my record last week was 10-3. and three. Uh, I, I don't know if you count your records, but that's just a, a fact that I like to share. Uh, I got a good record going into this week, so I feel pretty happy about my picks. Yeah, you had a great record last week. I'll never come to the table with my record unless, you know, I, I have a good one. I think I went sub 500 last week, so hopefully doing better on these picks. Well, I'd like to thank again Nolan Thode for joining me on this week's episode of Down to the Wire. Thanks for having me, Pags.